beautiful It's got my mind on you And everywhere I turn is a reminder I said that a little louder than normal because y'all look like you dragged your butt up in here. You look like you rode hard and put away wet. Wake up! It's time to get the Word of God in you. Why are you so tired? What are you tired of? This life is refreshing. This life is amazing. You haven't been up since 3 o'clock in the morning like the brother. So why are you tired? Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. The Bible makes it clear that a pastor's job is to teach you, to build you up, to edify you. And we build you up through the repetition of the same biblical things over and over again. What's always perplexing to me is why Christians resist repetition in church. I've had people ask me, why do you always say the same things over and over again at the beginning of the lesson? It gets boring. You know, they resist repetition in church, but they don't resist repetition that the world uses to inculcate ideas into their memory center. Music uses repetition to make you remember. You put your right hand in, you take your right hand out, you put your right hand in, and you shake it all about. All right, that's repetition. Uh, The news media uses repetition to make you remember. Stay safe. Socially distance. Stay healthy. In these unprecedented times, I swear to God, I hate the word unprecedented. If I hear it one more time, I'm going to shoot myself in the mouth. Advertising uses repetition. 15 minutes will be save you 15% or more on car insurance. We've been hearing that for 15 years. When consoling people, we use repetition. Sorry for your loss, which is probably, by the way, the dumbest thing you could ever say to somebody who has just lost a relative. When thanking servicemen and women, we use repetition. Thanks for your service. You know, it's almost as if we couldn't create anything new to say and create something new every time. But in church, we have no tolerance for hearing the same things over and over. Jesus Christ is God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't get it. The Apostle Paul warns us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, that... We should see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, that worldly repetition, according to the traditions of men, men, not God, according to the elementary principles of the world, the kindergarten principles of the world, they ought to say, rather than according to Christ. Whether it's true philosophy or false philosophy, teachers use repetition to get their ideas across, and me too. Every lesson, I remind you who the Lord Jesus Christ is, what Barah Ministry stands for, and who God's enemy is. And I repeat it and repeat it and repeat it so you can't forget it because it's that important to you. And as a matter of fact, what you ought to be doing is wording, is mouthing the words with me as I say it. It ought to be so clear in your head that you can say it without me even saying it. Well, who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth that Jesus Christ is God, 
as Lord, he is 100% deity. He is God the Son, a member of the triune Godhead. He's also 100% human, just like you, you and me, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Lord, God the Son, became flesh, Jesus Christ, and lived among us. He is the uniquely born one, meaning he is 100% God and 100% man and one person forever. No one else ever can make that claim. He is the sovereign God of the universe, and he is the Jewish Messiah. I was talking to an unbeliever this week, and it's, it, what was stunning to me is how well she knows the Bible. She knew every single aspect of things that the Bible is teaching, but she doesn't believe any of it. She doesn't believe you have a soul. She doesn't believe there was a virgin birth. She doesn't believe in God, there is a God. It, and just went right through the list. Here's what the Bible teaches. I don't believe any of it. Now, she grew up in a convent under the, the auspices of the Catholic Church, so that's probably one of the reasons. A lot of times when people reject the Catholic Church, they throw the baby out with the bathwater. They reject God, too. But she knew everything, yet she was clearly rejecting it. And I just told her, I don't have any problem with anything you're saying because you're crystal clear. You, you have decided you do not want a relationship with Christ, so when you're in the lake of fire, you're going to be whole. You're, you're going to be very clear on the fact that you chose this fate, and it was not God's will that you should perish. And so that's that. And, you know, one of my friends said, well, she's going to be playing the conversations you guys were having over and over in her head when she's in the lake of fire. And I said, yes, yeah, she will. And she'll be even more convinced that she was right in the lake of fire than she was when we actually had the conversation. So that's why it's so important to let people know that Jesus Christ is God. Because it's really important that when you close your eyes in this life, you wake up in heaven. It's really important that when you're about to close your eyes in this life, you have a personal ins- uh, escort from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 reminds us then, Whatsoever things are true, let your mind dwell on these things, and the things you have learned and received and heard and seen over and over again from me, and this is Paul talking, practice these things. It's not enough to know. There are a lot of people in this life that are like squirrels. They're always gathering up the nuts of knowledge, but they never eat the nuts. You don't gather nuts up to store them in the ground and then leave them in the ground and then go store more knowledge and leave it in the ground. You eat the nuts. Practice these things. Do it. Now, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God from God's perspective and not from man's perspective because God sees things completely differently than we do. As those who make Barah Ministries our spiritual home, we are Christians. And being a Christian means we believe in the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with him. In 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 and 15, Paul reminds his protege, Timothy, to keep on reminding believers in Christ of biblical things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God the Father not to wrangle about words, not to get in arguments with people, which is useless and leads to the ruin of those who listen. Instead, study to show yourself approved unto God as a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
Well, God has an enemy, Satan, who, made, who God made the ruler of this world. And one of the questions the kids asked yesterday is, why did God make Satan the ruler of this world? What a fantastic question. Now, another kid asked, why is it that when Satan was number two, he wanted to be number one? Wasn't number two a good job? <laughs> hey, yeah, hello, it was a good job. He wanted to be number one. And, and the funny thing is, he's not capable of it. He's not capable of being number one. He says, I'll take over the function of God. You would never take over the function of God, because to take over the function of God, you'd have to die for somebody, you selfish jerk. He'd never do that, ever. So God made him the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says this. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned at a future time. Satan is a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. And I am so proud uh, to be a, a pastor in a ministry that reminds you over and over and over again that God has an enemy, Satan. And 60% of believers in Christ, Christians in this world, believe strongly or somewhat, that Satan is a symbol of evil and not a being. Yeah, right. He is not a symbol. Symbols don't lie. Beings lie. Amen? He's a liar who deceives the whole world, including you and me. He doesn't want us to get to know God, and he interferes with our chance to know God. Satan attacks your mind. Because he wants you to be ignorant of God's will. Chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul exhorts believers in Christ. Do not be foolish. Instead, understand what the will of the Lord is. You either understand the will of the Lord or you are foolish. And there are so many Christians who are scratching their head. What's the will of God for my life? One of the things the unbeliever asked me is, what is my purpose in life? You have to answer that question. Do you think a pigeon's going to fly over your head and tell you what your purpose is? You have a choice in the matter of what your purpose is. And you need to exercise the choice. And there's no more important question for you to answer in this life. So Paul requests this, that we not be foolish, so that we can do what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 recommends, which is do the will of God from the heart. Do the will of God because you choose to do it. Did you put that up? There it is. Thank you, sir. Satan attacks anything that would reveal God's will, and he knows that the word of God reveals the will of God because it gives us both peace and divine power so that we fulfill our potential. Here's the thing. There are a lot of people walking around. They know they sin. Raise your hand if you know that you commit sins. Raise your hand. All right, but raise your hand if you beat yourself up for that. Yeah, well, quit it. Stop beating yourself up about it. They're paid for at the cross. That's why Christ went to the cross. So quit beating yourself up about it, because please explain to me what beating yourself up about it does. Does it make you feel better? <laughs> oh, look, I have a rubber hose. Oh, look, I can lay in the fetal position on the floor with my thumb in my mouth. What does it do for you? It does nothing for you. So quit it. 
understand that you make mistakes. That's life. The key is this, learn from the mistake. That's the key. You know, one of the teams I love is losing a lot these days. Okay, that happens. Are you learning? Because winning doesn't teach you like losing does. Are you learning? And what needs to be learned is there's a critical two minutes in every game. And who you are is how you show up in the critical two minutes of the game. Do you shrink back? And I always root for teams that are horrible, and they have nothing to lose. I don't understand why somebody with nothing to lose would shrink back. I came out of the ghetto. In the ghetto, I had nothing nothing to lose. If I I fail, I'm just going to stay in the ghetto. So I had nothing to lose by taking chances and asking people for things. My philosophy as a kid was, I'm going to ask you because all you can say is no. And if you say no, I'm right where I was in the first place. Big deal. Funniest thing, though, when I started asking people for stuff. No, I didn't ask people. I axed people. Right? At that time. I was axing people. Funny thing, when you ask people stuff, you know what happens? A lot of them say yes. Wow. We have nothing to lose. Well, look. Satan attacks things that will reveal God's will. Why? Because he knows that it gives us peace and divine power so that we can fulfill our potential. It's not enough to have potential. It's important that you fulfill your potential. Well, believers in Christ are not fighting for the victory in this life. We're operating from victorious ground. We're in union with Christ, and we have the victory over Satan through our Lord, who has overcome the world. And because we are on his coattails, we have overcome the world as well. Today's Bible lesson. Whatever the question, love is the answer. Whatever the question, love is the answer. When we think about the way we treat other people, sometimes it's downright silly. The Lord wants us to treat others just like he treats us, with unconditional love. A great question from the youth Bible study yesterday. Why did God give Satan unconditional love and privileges, even after Satan rejected a relationship with God? (laughs) Love is the answer. God always responds in love, and he expects the same from us. In today's lesson, Paul continues to instruct the first century Corinthian believers in the value of unconditional love so that they can use their spiritual gifts in a way that glorifies our Lord. Well, one of the dumb things Christians say when they want something is, God willing, I want to go on vacation. God willing, of course God is willing. God has will for your life, and he repeats it, he reveals it in virtually every page of the Bible. Here's an example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. Uh Uh-oh, we're missing three, or did I hit two, five? There it is. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you be set apart for a set of privileges that would stagger your imagination. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians 4.4, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, 1 Thessalonians 4.5, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God. Isn't it lucky for you, as a believer in Christ, that God the Holy Spirit is going to do something for you that you can't 
<laughs> that you can't do personally. Isn't that great? He's going to do it for you. So when we do God's will for our lives, things go better for us. Well, here's Hillary Scott, one of my favorites, with a beautiful song that is actually a plea that we do thy will. I like that song, but that's not Hillary. I'm so confused. I know I heard you loud and clear, so I followed through. Somehow I ended up here. I don't want to think, I may never understand, that my broken heart is a part of your plan. When I try to pray, all I got is hurt and
grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for helping us to see that we are not better than others. Thank you for teaching us a more excellent way. And thank you for giving us the answer to every problem, no matter the question. Your answer is always love. Help us to reflect you and your virtues through the fruit of God the Holy Spirit to a lost and dying world until your Son comes again in glory to receive us to himself. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, whatever the question, love is the answer. Whatever the question, love is the answer. When I think of the immature, elitist ones in the first century church at Corinth, even though they are believers in Christ, even though they should be reflecting a more excellent way in their Christian conduct, They remind me of the Pharisee in a parable the Lord shares in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Here's what it says. Now Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, when they were not, actually, they were unbelievers, who viewed others with contempt, relating to them without unconditional love as a foundation. And Jesus said, two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, a religious unbeliever who had studied the Old Testament scriptures for over 20 years, and the other, a tax collector, considered the lowest of the low. Tax collectors were considered about two rungs below a prostitute. Luke chapter 18, verse 11. The Pharisee stood and began praying this regarding himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. I'm not a swindler, nor am I crooked, nor am I an adulterer nor am I even like this tax collector. I'm from Scottsdale. (laughs) The Pharisee, in telling God what a good man he is, was doing the worst thing of all. He was being self-righteous, pretending to be self-sufficient. Luke chapter 18, verse 12. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Luke 18.13, now the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to raise his eyes toward heaven. Instead, he was beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And a sinner is an unbeliever. Luke chapter 18, verse 14, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, tell you, that tax collector went to his house justified. And what does it mean to be justified? It means to be saved from, he went from sinner to saint. He was declared legally righteous by God the Father. Unlike the Pharisee, who is still an unbeliever, bragging on himself, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. We humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might promote us at the proper time. And that's exactly what the tax collector did. The elitist believers in first century Corinth saw themselves as special because of their spiritual gift, specifically the gift of tongues. And in 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 14, Paul is addressing the problem. In chapter 12, Paul lets them know that all believers in Christ are spiritual, and all believers in Christ have a spiritual gift. In chapter 13, he lets them know that spiritual gifts are not a reflection of Christ if they are not used, accompanied by unconditional love. So a quick quick review, and then on to the verses for today. Let's begin at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
verse 31, which says this, Keep on earnestly desiring the use of the greater grace spiritual gifts, pursuing the use of your gifts with the fervor of a zealot. We are using our spiritual gifts by action. We are not sitting around scratching our head and wondering what our spiritual gift is. We get out and work and we find our spiritual gift and it's that thing that we do just naturally. So we keep on earnestly desiring the use of the greater grace spiritual gifts, pursuing the use of our gifts with the fervor of a zealot, somebody who is just possessed to do it. And I, Paul, will show you a still more excellent way to use your fervor. What is the more excellent way to use your spiritual gift? All you need is a foundation of unconditional love to drive the use of your spiritual gift. What does that really mean? It really means that you use your spiritual gift and you give yourself as a gift because you want to. You know, one of the things I can't stand is the parent who raises a kid, and then when the kid's an adult saying, after all I did for you, the parent is saying that. Wait a minute. Did you do it because you wanted to? Did you raise the kid because you wanted to? Or did you raise the kid because you were looking for a sticker for your refrigerator? Because none of, none of our kids asked to be born. We chose to make that occur. And everything we do for them, we chose to do it for us. Now, truly, we'd like to see them do something with it. Truly, we don't want to see them be bust-outs. But the truth of the matter is, my kids don't owe me anything for the things that I did for them. Because that was what I was pleased to do. That's what I wanted to do as a dad. And I didn't want credit. A lot of people want credit. That's not unconditional love. So, what is not love? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 3 tell us that. Paul says, if I speak with human tongues, and I do, and if I speak with the tongues of angels, and I do, he had been to the third heaven. But I do not have unconditional love as my foundation. I have become a noisy gong, a sounding brass, or a clanging cymbal, just a bunch of noise. That's all it is. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. If I, Paul, have the gift of prophecy, and I do, and if I know all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, and I do, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, if I'm able to do the impossible, and I do, but do not have unconditional love, I am nothing. There we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. And if I, Paul... Give all my possessions to feed the poor, philanthropy, and I do. And if I surrender my body to be burned, martyrdom, and I do, but do not have unconditional love, it profits me nothing. Well, that's what is not love. Well, what is love? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to the beginning of verse 8. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Love does not act unbecomingly. Love does not seek its own. Love is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. 
Love never fails. Okay, what happens when you look at that list? When you look at that list and you think about a relationship you're in that's not going so well, you see yourself on the not side of that list pretty much? And what, do you, what happens when you compare yourself to the this is what love is side of the list? You fall a little short, and now what do you do? Once you find out that you fall a little short, what do you do? Do you get a rubber hose out and beat yourself up with it, or do you just simply say, I am shooting an arrow at the bullseye, and I am missing the mark? That's what a sin is. And so the next time I shoot the arrow, I'm going to get closer to the mark. That's what we say. That's what we do. We don't beat ourselves up. God gives us a standard. One of the questions yesterday uh, was, is same-sex, are same-sex relationships bad and wrong according to the Bible? All right, look. God doesn't look at things from that point of view. That's man's point of view. We're always looking to judge everybody. We're always looking to point our finger. Oh, that's bad. That's wrong. And most of the time, it's just simply because we don't agree with it. God has standards. You know what his standards are about sexuality. But you also have choice. You do what you do. But do you learn? That's the question. So, it's... The, the whole question has to be reframed. It's not, does God look at that as bad or good? It's how does God look at things? When you get behind his eyes, what, did he, what does he see? When he looks at you, he sees a person. He doesn't see sins that he paid for. He sees a person that he cares about. Now, the real question for you is, do you, when you look in the mirror, see a person that you care about? Isn't that the question? Do you see that? Do you see yourself like God sees you? That's the question. Because in Barah Ministries, we're not going to look at you like the world is looking at you. Everybody in here sins. And I am the first and foremost of them. I can outsin any one of you. That's not the point. It is the point to you. It's like, well, if you can outsend any one of us, why do we have to listen to you? I mean, can't we get a better person up there in the front? Jesus Christ. I mean, wow. Yeah, you can get somebody better up here. Let's see if you can get them to stand up here for 21 years. Every week, without missing. Let's check it out. Go get them. Because I don't mind being a non-resident. <laughs> I don't, mean, I don't mind going non-resident. <laughs> I sit right at my house in my footed pajamas. I got a pair of blue footed pajamas that make me look like a bunny given to me by somebody up in here. And I sit right over there and eat my, eat my donuts. Yeah, right here. Right here. Today I'm having a donut. And I drink my coffee and I'll be cool. I don't need to come up in here. Amen? amen? I said amen. amen. Give me some amen. <laughs> Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says what Paul is recommending, which is another way, a more excellent way. It says this, 
So then, while we have the opportunity as believers in Christ, let us do good to all people, and especially those who are of the house of faith. Let's treat everybody well, but especially other believers. Let's have some compassion for people. Let's see people like God sees people and not try to put them into identities and categories that make them feel like crap, right? Oh, what's it like to be, Rory, what's it like to be black? (laughs) Show save money on sunscreen. That's what it's like. I've had people ask me that, honestly. Honestly. It's hilarious. What difference does it make what skin color I am? What difference does it make what country I came from? What difference does it make what race I am? What does it change? It changes nothing. And the, 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 the time you know that is when you fall off a pier and you're drowning and the only person anywhere close is a brother. <laughs> uh, excuse me, I'm drowning. Could you get a white person to help? That's not what's going to happen. See? It's amazing. Treatment matters. How we treat people matters. You know what? If there was one lesson that my mom got across to me, and there are a lot of lessons my mom got across to me, but if there was one lesson, it is how you treat people matters. Be kind to people. When I was on a bus... And I had a seat. She would make me get up and give the seat to an old lady. So I was like, come on. I'm tired. (laughs) But now when I get on a plane, I'm sitting next to somebody. I I pop the bin. I say, you got anything up here? I help them out. And by the way, there's always a woman who's got something up there. And it's it's exactly the day when she's carrying her rock collection (laughs) In our suitcase, you know, I get a hernia. I've had five hernias from lifting suitcases down from uh, overhead bins for one. What, what is in here? Oh, it's just a little something for my grandkids. Why couldn't you FedEx it? Dang. Are you trying to kill me? Anyway, when we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll study the last part of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse by verse. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. Will all the other not quite? Will all the never get it right? But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time. Cause I'm just a nobody. Everybody's got a purpose 
So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying who do you think you are I say I'm just a nobody Bible lesson, whatever the question, love is the answer. Whatever the question, love is the answer. Well, it's not often that I ask for things. I can probably count on my hands the number of times in my life that I've asked anyone for anything. I give, but I don't ask, and quite often that extends to my prayer life. I don't ask God enough for the things I need. Well, people within Baram Ministries are encouraging me to ask. So, I need a new computer, and I need to add books to my library. And if in your generosity you see fit to provide a special offering in addition to your regular offering for your pastor's special needs, I am grateful. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with today's offering message. Good morning. 
My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. <clears throat> Barah Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God. You guys done talking back there? <laughs> Show some love. So this week I've been thinking a lot about love because pastor asked, what is love? And when you look at God, you know He is love. And I looked up this verse, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. After you have suffered for a little while, the God and Father of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in union with Christ, will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So what do we have to worry about? That's a God of true love. He does all that. He perfects us. He confirms us. He strengthens us. He establishes us. And that's what Barah Ministries does. This is a place where other people can be established on a firm foundation of Christ. And that's what Pastor does. Each week he comes up here and allows people to be established themselves. But do we do it for others? Do we go out on the streets and do we help people? Do we give them the chance to be perfected and confirmed and strengthened by Christ? That's what Barah Ministries is. That's what this offering allows us to do, is bolster his library and get him a better computer so he's not tapping around with one finger and missing keys like he has. An abacus. <laughs> abacus. But this is really an opportunity. A friend of mine said, oh, you're a tax collector at church? Because he knew that I was doing the offering. He said, I'm not a tax collector. I'm not the lowest of low. I, I give these people an opportunity to worship, to, to show their love for God. It's like Pastor mentioned with kids. You don't just give because you feel like you have to. You give because you want to. We raise kids because we love the hell out of them. We're not worried about getting something back from them. If he's an NBA star sometime down the road, that'd be great. But I'm not shooting for that. I want them to be successful, and I want them to know about Christ. And that's what we should think about everybody, not just our children, not just our friends. It should be everybody we see. And that's really what Barah Ministries is for. It's for everybody. This is not just for us to hide and, you know, hide it under a, like a lamp, hide it under a, a bushel or a lampstand. We're here to give everybody this message. And this is an opportunity for everybody to step outside of their comfort zone and engage their spiritual life. And the only way to find out is by doing it. I didn't want to come up here and speak every week. I was scared as hell. And I've definitely gotten easy. It's gotten easier and better at it, but that's all we have to do with people is just talk to them. Like Pastor said, all they can say is no or say, you know, get away from me. It's like they must not have been good friends anyway. So take this opportunity to worship. Take this opportunity to give of your time, your talent, and your treasure. But remember, every day is your opportunity. Every day is your chance to give people the, the gospel. Not just when we're here, not just when we feel like it. And I'm guilty of that too. Sometimes I've sh I shut my mouth and don't, don't speak up when I should. So let's just all work together. And let's help to perfect, confirm, strengthen, establish others. Just like God does. Let's show what real love is. So thank you very much.
back. Thank you, Deacon Denny, for a great offering message. Today's Bible lesson, whatever the question, love is the answer. So in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we start off the first three verses, what love is not. Then we go to the next four verses and we hear what love is mixed in with a little bit of what, what love is not. And now we continue to the end of the chapter, beginning at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. Here's what it says. Love never fails. But if the, there are spiritual gifts of prophecy, and there are, they will be done away. If there are spiritual gifts of tongues, and there are, they will cease. And if there is a spiritual gift of knowledge, and there is, it will be done away. Why have some of the spiritual gifts gone away? And why will all of the spiritual gifts go away eventually? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 tells us, According to God the Father's promise and His plan for mankind, we believers in Christ are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth, as delineated in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. One day, the Lord, God, God the Father, will blow up the earth and the universe as we know it and create a new earth, and a new universe with no seas. So this earth that has been perverted and distorted by Satan, this earth ruled by Satan, will be destroyed because God would never want his perfection to touch anything that is imperfect. And you are his perfection. And he doesn't want anything that is imperfect to touch your perfection. So... Continuing, according to God the Father's promise and His plan for mankind, we believers in Christ are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Why does righteousness dwell in the new heaven and the new earth? Because the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ, will be running things with no interference from evil. So love is a virtue that lasts forever. Love is permanent. Love is eternal. Love never ends. But tongues and knowledge and prophecy are not permanent. And they are not eternal. They end. It's much like what happens for parents, which most parents never are really willing to acknowledge. When a child grows up, the parenting job is finished. Most parents want to continue parenting their children long beyond the time when it is welcome. Adults don't need parenting. And... They don't want or value your advice. And parents, that's why when you go to the nursing home, you will get left in your diaper just a little bit too long because they will be getting back at you for parenting them when they're adults. Your parenting, parenting really ends when a child becomes 13 years old, honestly. After that is simply guidance because they're not listening to you anymore. Because they think they know everything. The, the, the lousy thing about teenagers is that teenagers think they know everything, but they ain't got a job. You know, they're not out of the house. It's like, you're so smart, why don't you get out of the house? Why don't you go get your own apartment, get your own car? Oh, you're too young to drive a car. Oh, you might still need something. But a parent's strategy has to shift when a kid becomes a teenager, and the tell strategy, which works real well 0 to 12, does not work at all for teenagers because their focus strategically shifts to their peer group. And so 
you got to talk to the kid through their peer group once they hit the teen years. But when they become adults, you got to let them make their own decisions. And, you know, when you try to give advice to a grown person, a grown kid who is your child, they weren't listening to you when they were growing up, and they sure as hell aren't listening to you now. And they don't appreciate the advice, no matter how good it is. So it's a time, there's a time when the things that were really working and really valuable no longer work and are no longer valuable. And that's certainly true with spiritual gifts. They run out of steam at a point. So human life is temporary, but eternal life is not. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18 say this, Therefore, we believers in Christ do not lose heart. Can you put the slide up? Therefore, we believers in Christ do not lose heart, But though our outer person is decaying, our physical body is going to die. Yet our inner person, the new creation, the inner self, is being renewed day by day by God the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4.17 For our momentary light affliction, this small amount of time that we spend on the earth, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. 2 Corinthians 4.18, and we look not at the things which are seen, but we look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Quite often we get wrapped up in this life's temporary picture and completely miss the eternal picture. And the elitist Corinthians were certainly doing that. They were reflecting the world with their elitism, And they were not reflecting the Lord's values. The big picture is that one day believers in Christ will be completely resident in love. There will be no sin for us. There will be no guile in us. There will be no conflict in us. We will live in perfect environment with perfect circumstance under the direction of our perfect God. Amen? Amen. The mistake religious people make is settling as if they have all the answers about God. They are finite in their orientation because they are lazy in their approach to learning about God. Religious people are attracted to a systematic theology because they want a formulaic way to relate to God. God's infinite nature blows up the formulas. Back when I was in systematic theology, the the ladies in systematic theology would always say, you can't put God in a box. And, you know, they'd say that. I said, that's kind of dumb. What are they really saying? What they were saying is that formulaic does not contain God. That's what they were saying. It was brilliant. With God, there's always more to discover, and you cannot tap him out. With Satan and religion... There is not more to discover. The creature is finite, limited, boring, and predictable. While abiding in the sphere of faith, hope, and love is a chance to abide in the infinite and not in the temporary. Being in union with Christ means residing in love. It means being bathed in love, radiating love. And most people just aren't willing or able to comprehend the magnitude of that. And I don't believe you heard what I said. See, most people are not willing or able to comprehend the magnitude of this love with which they are loved by God. You know why? Because they don't love themselves. 
and they're judging how everybody else thinks and feels about them by how they feel about themselves. Waste of time. You have the flesh in you. That's who you're listening to. The flesh in you is saying, you're horrible. The funny thing is, the flesh will tell you what to do, and then as soon as you do it, the sin, then the flesh will criticize you for doing what it asked you to do. And we love listening to it. We love being directed by it. We love buying into its thoughts about us. We don't have any time for this God stuff who says, I love you no matter what your mistakes are. I love you. I paid for your mistakes at the cross. I love you, and I have plans for you, plans for your welfare and not for your calamity to give you a future and a hope. We don't want to hear that crap. That's just all a bunch of noise. We can't wait to run back out there to the world and hear more about the the global pandemic and stick our mask on our face and socially distance and stand on a little circle like a little robot. I ain't standing on nobody's circle. Amen? Costco's still mad at me. Uh, Sir, could you stand on the circle? No, I ain't standing on nobody's circle. Can you get back there and get this person out of my way so I can get my cash back bonus? I'm trying to get the cash. I ain't giving you, I ain't going to go get groceries and then give it to you and then give it right back to you in groceries. I need the cash. Amen? We ain't playing. We're players. Love never fails. That's what the beginning of verse 8 says. Love never fails. But the Greek word pipte actually means love never falls. (laughs) Falling in love is stupid, in other words. Love never falls. In other words, love makes a difference. Love affects. Love solves all problems. Love never falls apart. Love never collapses in defeat. Love cannot be destroyed. Love endures. Love never ends. Love exists in heaven. Love never ceases to exist like the spiritual gifts cease. And people who are elitists don't realize that the power of their elitism comes to an end. The power of wealth comes to an end. I've been in the room with many wealthy men who were taking their last breath. And the bank account did not help in that matter. The power of human aggrandizement comes to an end where people are blowing smoke up your butt and telling you how wonderful you are. That's what aggrandizement is. That comes to an end. Oh, you were popular in this life but you died just like everybody else does. You stop breathing, turn cold, get put in the ground and become fertilizer for daffodils. Amen? I know, don't make a picture. You don't have to make pictures, but that's what happens. As Christians, we reflect the enduring values. As Christians, we seek a more excellent way. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9. It says, for right now, in this present age, we know in part. We don't know everything there is to know about the Bible, and we don't know everything there is to know about God. Not yet. And we prophesy in part. I teach you pieces of this. I don't even know what's coming up in chapters 14, 15, and 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 10. But when the perfect comes, and the perfect coming is the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in glory to pick us up. So we meet him in the clouds in the air the partial, will be done away. So the spiritual gifts will be done away. Why? They will cease to exist 
when they have fulfilled God's purpose for them. God's purpose for tongues was to let his apostles speak in their language and let other people hear it in their language. It was a communicative gift. If you if somebody says they're speaking in tongues and you don't understand what they are saying, that is not tongues. That's goofiness. The Corinthian believers value knowledge because of the Greek influence. Corinth is right real close to Greece. And they value tongues. Yet the tongues power ceased AD 70 their usefulness has been used and when God has used something successfully it goes away the full truth is coming when Christ comes and Paul illustrates this with an example 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 11 when I was a child I used to speak as a child speaks I used to think as a child thinks I used to reason as a child reasons but when I became a man, I put an end to the childish things. What is that saying? It's saying grow up. It's saying, and most of us don't. We are little kids in adult bodies, slamming, having tantrums, and looking for me time. Elitism is a little kid's thinking from back in kindergarten. And there's some people who are still thinking as if they are in kindergarten. And we have to acknowledge that there is a time to move from being a child to being an adult. There is a time to grow up. And in the realm of spiritual gifts, there is a time when they are no longer needed. In the matter of elitism, there's a time when the pagan practice of thinking that you're better than others has to cease and be replaced by a more excellent way. And Paul suggests that that more excellent way is love. This is Paul's subtle but powerful message to the Corinthian believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now, we see the plan of God in a mirror dimly, not so clearly. But then, in the future, we see face to face and not through an intermediary. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have also been fully known personally by God from eternity past until now and for all eternity. There's what we know now and there's what we're going to know in the future. And what we're going to know in the future is going to be a glory that will blow your mind. It will, you will not even be able to comprehend. Somebody asked me the other day, what do you think heaven's like? And I said, I am not going to waste my time trying to put that into words. Exceeding and abundantly beyond anything you could ever ask or think. I'm not going to waste my time trying to put that into words because there's no way we could even imagine it. But just think about it. Whatever you think the coolest thing is ever on the earth, it's about a thousand times better than that. Amen? Amen? Right now, we do not see our God so we can get our instruction directly from Him. We have the Bible, we have pastor teachers and spiritual gifts that reflect Him in this lost and dying world. But in the future... We'll see him face to face. We'll be instructed by him face to face. There will no longer be a dim reflection of him, but a clear vision of him right before our eyes. And we will have no choice but to do what everyone who has ever seen him has done. We will fall flat on our face in worship. The imperfect will hand off to the perfect, and we will be at home with our Lord in a kingdom that is ours forever. Until then, as in a mirror, we reflect him with unconditional love. Think about your partial knowledge of God right now and who he is. 
and then imagine what full knowledge must be like. How will the way you operate change when it is no longer obscured by Satan's deceptions? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. But now faith, hope, and love abide in the sphere of these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let love guide your use of your spiritual gift. The closing moments of our study today are a reminder for you that God wants you. And what he wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. Did you know that the sovereign God of the universe, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, wants to have an eternal relationship with you? What the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ wants you to know is that 13 words tell the story of how to be saved. The first word is God. There is one and only one God, as it says in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 5. I am the Lord and there is no other God. Besides me, there is no other. The one and only God, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, reveals himself in ways that make sense to human beings. He is the one who wants to save you. The next word is mankind, a name for all the Lord's human creatures. John chapter 1 verse 3 says this, All things came into being through the Lord, God the Son, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The Lord is the creator, and the Lord created you. The next word is sin. All of us were born in a state of sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 says, As it is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that is every human who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. That's bad news for you. It's not your fault that you were born in a state of sin, but it is your circumstance. Sin is a barrier that keeps you from having a relationship with the Lord. As a result of being born in a state of sin, you need a Savior. The next word is Jesus, the name above all names, the magnificent name, the God-man, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Savior, of the whole world. John chapter 3 verse 17 says this, God the Father did not send God the Son into the world as the Lord to become Jesus Christ, to judge the world. But the Father sent the Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Jesus Christ is God and he wants to save you. The next word is cross. The Lord Jesus Christ chose to become a sin substitute for you by shedding his blood on a cross so you wouldn't have to die for your own sins. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, Being found in appearance as a man, the Lord Jesus Christ humiliated himself for you by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Lord's Father, God the Father, participates in your salvation as well. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be crucified on a cross so that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but has eternal life. The next word is resurrection. 
Three days after Jesus Christ's crucifixion, he proved himself to be deity, just as he had told everyone by being resurrected from the dead. In Luke chapter 24, verses 5 and 6, an angel asks the question of two women who have come to anoint Jesus' body with spices on the third day after his crucifixion. The angel said, Why do you seek the living one among the dead ones? Jesus is not here, but he has risen from the dead just as he predicted. Being resurrected from the dead separates Jesus Christ from all those who pretend to be gods. The next word is salvation. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 credits Jesus Christ with the salvation of the whole human race. There is salvation in no one else, and there is no name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved, except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is only available through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Accepting his work on your behalf at the cross saves you from an eternity in the lake of fire. One of the questions that was asked today is, why, yesterday by the kids, is why is it that to be saved, all we have to do is believe in Christ? Why don't we have to do more stuff? Well, the answer is really easy, because God did all the stuff so you wouldn't have to. See, your salvation was real hard for him, but it's real easy for you. It's a fantastic question. The next word is grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say this, By God's grace you have been saved through faith in Christ for salvation. And that grace and that faith and that salvation are not from the source of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Ephesians 2, 9, Therefore being saved is not a result of your works, the deeds you do in self-righteousness so that no one may boast about saving himself. A God who is full of grace provides your salvation free of charge. The next word is faith. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 says this, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds, and of course you do, because it was gifted to you by God, you will say to this mountain, which is any obstacle, move from here to there, and the obstacle will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. God gives you the gift of faith to spend on your own salvation. The next word is repentance. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he is patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any of them to perish in the lake of fire, but for all of them to come to repentance. When you repent, you have a change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this gospel message invites you to choose to change your mind. The next word is righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God the Father made Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be a sin sacrifice on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God the Father in union with Christ Jesus. Righteousness is your admission ticket to heaven. When you believe in Jesus Christ, absolute righteousness is credited to your account by a merciful God. The next word is truth. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32 say this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who were paying attention to him, if you continue in my word, that's a third class condition, if. If you continue in my word, maybe you will, maybe you won't, you have a choice. Then 
you are truly disciples of mine. John 8.32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Thirteen words then tell the story of how you can be saved. There is a God. He is the creator of all mankind. And sin separated mankind from having a relationship with him. Jesus Christ saved the day by dying on a cross to pay for the sins of all mankind. His resurrection from the dead three days later proved that he is God. And as a result, you are offered a so great salvation provided free of charge by means of God's grace, a salvation you cannot work for. By spending your gift of faith, you can be saved. When you repent, you change your mind about having a relationship with Christ, and God the Father credits his absolute righteousness to your account, a righteousness that is your admission ticket to heaven. When you know this truth, it will set you free from slavery to sin and from bondage to the law. The power of the 13 words can be summed up in just one word, believe. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. When you believe, you take God's word for it concerning what it takes to be saved. So heed the warning in John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son, will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. So use these 13 words because they all boil down to one word, believe. To get on the Lord's team, just believe. Just take God's word for it concerning what it takes to be saved, and you will be saved. Don't wait. Do it right now. Well, let's close with music. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he hung from the cross, went boldly to his Father in prayer and said this. Jesus was saying, Father, forgive these men who are crucifying me, for they don't know what they're doing. The Lord made this request in the imperative mood in the Greek. He was commanding his Father to grant his request. And the word forgive is in the Greek aorist tense indicating that forgiveness is a past action. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat that. Forgiveness is a past action. You don't have to ask God to forgive you because he already did in the past. You were forgiven in the past. Every sin you've ever committed is past, present, and future was forgiven in the past, and they stand forgiven forever because once the Lord does a thing, it is done. Why do so many Christians beg for forgiveness from God when they make mistakes as if God isn't willing to forgive them? Here's June Murphy to sing a song she wrote and produced. As June reminds us, we're forgiven. Within Christ, finished. 
doxology of praise to our God, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Worthy of praise is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers in Christ in eternity past with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, a place of permanence through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.20, in Jesus we have redemption, deliverance from slavery to sin through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the glorious wealth provided by His grace, which He lavished on us, including as a gift wisdom and insight. Ephesians 3.20, Now to the God and Father who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or imagine, that is, more than is humanly possible, according to the divine power of omnipotence that works within us. To him be the glory through the church age believers in union with Christ, and to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we just thank you for giving us a chance to hear what you have to say. We thank you for the supernatural power that your word puts into our soul. And we know that you are a planter of seeds and a water of seeds that will in the future produce a tremendous harvest. And we just thank you for continuing to till the ground of our souls and to put in the foundation that is built upon the rock, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that when the winds come and the rains come and try to wash away our house, it will stand. And we thank you for protecting us as we go out during this week, for providing for us, for executing your plan for us, for being very present for us in times of trouble, and being the perfect Savior with a perfect plan for our salvation and our sanctification. And we ask for your continued assistance through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.